Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing, how they persevere, how they make things happen, how they hang in there. And today, my guest is a filmmaker named Wes Hurley. I met him a number of years ago, probably like 2014. Um, we were in a film festival together. I had the short film that I worked on if we took a holiday, but we were in different programs together and I just remember thinking he was really cool and talented. And he's come out with a feature called Potato Dreams of America that I watched during Outfest. But here's a qualifier. I was in the throes of a breakthrough infection from COVID, which I will tell you all about at the end of the podcast. And that's probably why I haven't done a podcast in a while. But, um, so I watched it when I was in this COVID fog, and, but I loved it, and it really um, delighted me. And I'm so excited uh, to talk to Wes about it, because he really accomplished something special. So, before we get to that, I want to get a plug-in. I'm still hosting Virtual Game Nights. I even did a couple during COVID, when I had my COVID. Uh. Um... I cheated death. That's my I have another setup that I also do. Hey, can you say a few words? So, I think we should all... Yeah. I am Wes Hurley, and I am... But anyway, um, if you want me to host a virtual game night for you, um, go to youdon'tknowmylife.com, and we'll make that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the title of your film is Potato Dreams of America, right? Also, I'm writing scripts for... And I had some... I took notes when I watched it, but I had COVID, and so I was in a bit of... Yeah, yeah, I'm better now. But I think and what I, I might do is just while we're running, go, why did I write this down? And see if you remember. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I'll probably more yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have handy a list of the places that it's playing? Because I know it's in Atlanta. Um, that's enough plugs for this week. Uh, the places that we do All right, joining me now from Seattle, so it's filmmaker Wes Hurley. Hey, by... Wes, welcome to the podcast. Okay. Hi, Dennis. Um, Thank you so much for having me. There's, um, we what met is coming up? There's in, Chicago in the coming up. decades prior Atlanta, at a film festival um, outfest because I had a film Tampa, that I worked on called If We Took a Holiday, uh, and you had a film that New was on the same York, program, I don't know and it had a name that allowed. I don't remember, I mean, but it involved rimming, they don't know what and it was like a twist on a fairy tale. Is this ringing a bell? Yes. Okay. Can people, is there a Facebook Zalashka, page for the film that was, people want to find uh, out? Yeah. Instead of okay. the glass yeah, slipper, send you it was the best on, grim um, job in the world. And I could just type uh, Kobe Keller in it. Okay, the, perfect. Um, yeah, I just want to Kobe Keller direct people porn star to where they can watch it. Controversial uh, is person, it, is it right? in San Diego? Yeah, festival? yeah. Is that I mean, now I wouldn't probably work with them, but, you know, we had a falling out, but I... Okay. I'm still a fan of awesome. how he looks. And you just had your so. you have your <laughs> a very awesome. short Seattle. Kind of seventies yeah, um, uh, so thing. But yeah, I know yeah, some so of that'll be the, the, the gal like that. But yeah, I I, I yeah, uh, it will be our then, first year. and now we you're had, out with a um, feature we called Seattle Potato Dreams of America. They were I watched all virtual, it so on Outfest you know, and I loved yeah, it and I reached out right away. So this right is gonna, that's going to be your big celebration. celebration. But moment. here's the thing. Absolutely. I had for COVID our cast and crew was when I watched so it. Exciting, okay. So I did take it. notes all right, and then start some of them won't make any sense. I am blaming brain fog. So I might just say, hey, why did I write this down? I love Is that what I love And see how well you know your own movie. It's over here. Yeah, I bet I it is a tablecloth that is I love it. a disco um, pattern so because this movie I've been hosting virtual game nights for people of this moving, game I created. It's so original. So I face it's my so camera there and it looks kind of like a game tone, show, but that's what that is. And it's very... It, it just it's delighted a, tablecloth so, I got from Amazon. Um, so Where did the germ awesome. of the idea come from? Yeah, I know it's autobiographical, cool. but it's when cool. did you think, okay, this is what this feature is It's very cheap and... My room You're is very like, kind. Um, thank you, first uh, of all. Hybrid Yeah, the idea started... You're in Seattle now, right? I mean, I'm in a Seattle, way, yeah. there's a big event in the movie that I want to give away. But is this it was your kind first feature, or have you done features before? To me is and this my your mom. first? I've and done, that's when I kind um, of knew, like, okay, this before. feels like our lives have become um, but a this is the first where movie. I could, right. you know, everything I have to make it in style. Yeah. Um, so that's when like the first kernel of it started, and then and we met on the I got energized during uh, Sochi Olympics. I don't know if you remember, there was a lot of controversy about was it um, how Russia was treating gay people, but yes. you know, they it were holding the Olympics, movie. and people were yeah. talking about boycotting, and yeah. so I kind of got and engaged in the conversation and thought in the bar, right? It was like there's literally no stories. Yeah, it was about Russia or even you know Soviet Union that era. Gosh, I had. Three smutty ones that coming out from I don't Russian remember. people they all about what had bar scenes. Was, was like. This one, there. it was like rimming, yeah. like Cinderella. So, and I have that experience, yeah, and, I, it, so and I'm a storyteller, it, so I decided is, to do... Uh, Zolushka. 
you know, okay. feature. And we, I wrote this it is fun about stuff. We should talk about ago. it actually when we're rolling. Right. Okay, here we go. And then, like a lot of times with indie films, it's hard to you know raise money to right. do it. So it took a while. Yeah. So for someone that has no idea what it is, how would you describe the plot in a couple of lines? Yeah, so it's an autobiographical dark comedy about a gay boy growing up in the USSR during Perestroika uh, and his amazing mom who becomes a male order bride and brings him to the States. And then basically all the surprises they get through their immigrant experience in Seattle and the, so the, the culture clash, uh, the culture shock, you know, coming from far east of Russia to Seattle. In so the 90s, late 90s. How old were you when you moved? I was 16 when I moved. You were 16 when you moved. And you were in the far east of Russia. I was in the far east of Russia that a lot of people kind of forget that it's there, including Russians. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not very uh, in the news. And um, it, it was very backward, you know, when I was growing up there. Um, your movie has a lot of uh, whimsical elements to it, sort of magical realism. It's not like a dry biopic and then this happened and this happened. You do funny things. You have a Jesus that appears, played by Jonathan Bennett from Mean Girls fame, which I think is perfect casting. Talk about putting him in the movie and how that happened. Yeah, his, you know, the, the idea of Jesus, I've always been drawn to like coming... Uh, coming of age stories that are whimsical and have magical realism in them because I feel like it captures the sort of the mindset of a child where things are heightened and weird and everything is bigger than it is um and so when we went through casting process I I had an amazing uh casting director back in New York and so we were you know juggling ideas and Jonathan came up and it's it's perfect I love that he's you know he's openly gay this idea that he's kind of a very gay Jesus. Yes, um, and hot. You have to have a hot Jesus. Very hot. Like, Those eyebrows are amazing. Yes, the hirsuteness. The hirsuteness yeah. of him. Um, the, but he looked way, like he was having a ball. I think he had a lot of fun. And the thing that I really appreciated too, he like, inst- you know, he was there only for like a day and a half. And he instantly created this magical chemistry with Hirsch, our star, you know, little star of the film. Yeah. Um, like they just had so much rapport in chemistry and he kind of took him under his wing and they were just, you know. Well, because Jesus becomes like his imaginary friend, you know, like when you're a kid. He's, yeah, yeah he's his best friend. He's, uh, he's like this imaginary best friend. And Leah Delaria is brilliant as the grandmother. How did she come to be in the movie? Thank you. Leah was my sort of dream, um, dream casting choice so when I was writing it even when we were pitching the film to investors and so on I had Leah's face on it just because that's how I pictured you know right character but we didn't know we didn't know if she was going to say yes you know you kind of hope for the best and she said yes as soon as we Mm -hmm. approached her you know her people liked the script she really loved the script she called me she was really supportive of the film so I and you know I love I really love her. I've seen her, you know, clips and things of her doing theater where she's not playing sort of this archetype that she's always playing. So I know that she can do other things. And I wanted to see her do something that people do not expect her to be a Russian grandma. At all. Right. She's done that a lot through her career, taking on something where you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then she always blows it out of the water, you know, or not so. Yeah. Out of the I mean, she's, she's so talented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Potato is the character's name. Was that your name, your nickname? How, what's the story with Potato? Yeah, my mom had a bunch of different uh, nicknames for me. Um, Potato, honestly, it was one of the nicknames she used, but it wasn't like what she was always calling me. And the reason I picked it was when I started writing the script, it is so faithful to my childhood and my you know, stuff that I went through. It's like 99.999% of what actually happened, conversations and everything. And so I found it kind of challenging uh, and naked to be writing it and right. using this fake, you know, the, this nickname, I just found it easier. It, it, like it created a little bit of a distance. It gave you a little distance. Interesting. Yeah. It, you know, so I could write about it sort of in third person, like potato says this, potato yeah. says that. And then, um, and why potato? I mean, she had different nicknames for me, but I picked that one because I feel like it's very Russian. It's like, first of all, it's an all Russian foods. There's always potato. Right. They're cheap. You know, and vodka. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like a resilient, not a very attractive vegetable. It's kind of um, gloomy looking vegetable, but very resilient. But, but so very important and foundational. And you can do a lot of things with a potato. Yes. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting. You use two sets of actors to tell your story. The, the, the younger one in Russia, and then there's a new actor for both the mom and, and your character, or potato, in, in the United States. And they echo each other, but they're very different. Like one uses an accent, one doesn't, but it all works. So talk about mm -hmm. that device of using, using the two different actors and not worrying so much that they are exactly like each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how, how did Thank how you. Did um, that, how did you approach that? Did you try to find one that looked like the other one or how do you do that? Um, I mean, conceptually, I always knew that that's how I wanted to to go with it because I I wanted to really um, sort of emphasize the uh, the sort of the emotional mental immigrating to another country, and especially in our case, like we literally knew nothing about the states except for American movies, right? And so coming to another country, you really become a different person, and you know, an accent is such a it's such an important thing because people may not understand you or they mis right. may mis mis misunderstand you and it marks you as sort of as different and other. And so it was really important for me that when we're in Russia, we're in, in our own sort of environment, even though it's not an environment where we want to be, but it's our home environment. And then in America, we're, we instantly become this sort of, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding with the, with the language and, and, and even personalities like my mom really changed completely when she came to the state. She like became a completely different person overnight. You can reinvent so yourself. I, yeah, you and I think, yeah, I think most immigrants, you know, a lot of immigrants do. Um, so I really wanted to emphasize that. And I think doing that with different actors and not having accents in Russia. So it's sort of like if you were to watch the Chekhov's play here, you know, you wouldn't have accents because you wouldn't you don't want to be distracted by that it's like they're just you know you want to be lost in the story whereas in america that language thing becomes a huge deal suddenly yeah. we had a wonderful uh wig master dennis uh milan benzi who created the wigs to sort of you know to have this continuity because like the mother actresses they do not have curly black hair and so he right. created this really iconic two weeks to, to have this continuity, even though they're played by different actors. And Did you have this experience at all? I think sometimes I look back at my childhood, especially in the last few years, and see what was really going on, uh, as opposed to the story I'd sort of told about my life. Did you have that where you're like, oh, mm -hmm. this is what was that was about? I, I have that especially with my father, I think, um, where I... I see Absolutely. it differently than I did when I was younger. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. For me, you know, it's not it's not related to my father, but it's related to like being gay. I think it's not that you know I don't want to understate how horrible lives are for gay people in Russia, and you know, and how much discrimination it is. But also, I think I was I was one of those kids who really took things at face value. And so when I heard all this homophobic things and, you know, all the time, every day, I really kind of accepted that I was the only gay person ever right. <laughs> in Russia, where like now I look back, uh, you know, and I have since even met other Russian gay people. Right. And I look back and I'm like, like, oh, that person might have been also gay. That person, oh, girl. You know, so yes. it's like, come I, on. Like, yeah. Like, cause when you when you're a kid, you I mean, not every, you know, I know people who've grown up in like horrible really homophobic environments but they had experimented and they had experiences right and i didn't any of that like i was like oh no i'm the only gay i'll never have sex i'll never have a life right. you know um so it, that's an interesting thing to like look back at and be like oh i think a lot of people might have been gay you know right. <laughs> yeah for sure this is what was really going on um american mm -hmm. movies were your touchstone or your escape when you were a kid, like Pretty Woman and Sister Act, how did they come to you on VHS tapes or on television? Like, how did you first discover them? 
Yeah, I mean, sort of the magical thing of how I first discovered them, and I try to show it in the film a little bit, is, you know, before we had wide exposure to them, one person would see a film and then they would tell other people about it. They would basically retell the film and then you would retell the film. And so there was this beautiful sort of um, out of necessity sort of oral history of movies where, hey. you know, like I... I wouldn't see Star Wars, but like a friend of a friend has seen it. And so it would pass on through several people. I love so, that. You know, um, and then what happened was this really incredible thing where this renegade channel out of the blue, you know, we used to have just two government channels. And then out of the blue, we suddenly had this third channel that would start late at night and it would show pirated American films. And oh my so, gosh. and it was totally random. So exciting. It was so exciting. And I remember to like the very first thing that I saw in it was Ghost, you know, the film Ghost, which is already yeah. like a magical yes. kind of film, you know, as to, for a kid that hasn't been exposed to stuff like that, um, was like, oh my God, this is so kind of magical. And you don't know who's, who's um, broadcasting this. Right. You know? It's just like and, a gift from God. Yeah, it's like this weird gift from God. So that's how we got into it. And then later we did get a VCR and people would have, Russia had a lot of these kiosks that, where they would sell pirated films with like handmade labels. Right, I love it. And the really funny thing that I, I still think it's so funny, they would sell these films, but you know how on the tape you could put like two things on a tape if you recorded it on a different speed? Right. And so they would put two things per tape and it would be random, like the most random things so it'd be like basic instinct and beauty and the beast or like right. <laughs> you know pre predator and goonies like right. just the weirdest combinations and you knew um, what you were you knew you were getting both right you didn't go home and go oh my gosh there's another one on here yeah you knew they, they would be marked on the right. label but the, just the way it was like chosen the, the combinations were really i mean it was almost like something for everybody you know like right. oh basic instinct for the parents and then here's like Flintstones cartoons yeah. for the kids. Which tape did you wear out by watching it the most? Oh my God. Um, well, maybe it's TMI, but there was uh, that movie Parenthood. Yeah. With, um, there's, this, there's a scene where uh, Keanu Reeves pops up from the bed and he's wearing this little white yeah. briefs. And I, and I, yeah, I watched that way too many times. Like it was oh really worn out. Yeah. So, in the film, your mother becomes a mail-order bride and you go to Seattle. When this process started, did you think it could happen? What did you think of the, the process as it was unfolding? It was really magical and strange. And we couldn't, you know, on one hand, like we had, we really fantasized and wanted to come to the States. On the other hand, it seemed so unlikely. Um, and it was hard to believe that it was happening. And my mom, you know, in the film, it's kind of, I have to condense a lot into sure. a, a tight, you know, uh, 90 minute film, but she was writing to this man. I mean, they were writing back and forth for several years. And then he came to visit us in Russia. And then she came to visit him in the States and then they got married. And, you know, she came back and brought me with her. Um, but it took a while and it, you know, until until we actually got to the States, we couldn't believe that it was. That it was real. That it was real. And my mom, you know, my mom, because she came in her, you know, late 30s, she still doesn't really believe it. Like, she still has that sense of like, I'm going to wake up and be back in Russia or something. But you two were on the same page in terms of wanting it. Like, it was both yeah. of desire. There was no. Oh, yeah. No, we really, really wanted to come. Yeah. Right. What do you remember about first arriving in America? your first impressions? Oh my God. I mean, everything was so different. It was such a contrast, you know, uh, not only because it's America, but because of like the city that I came from at the time was really maybe the shittiest city and one of the shittiest cities in Russia. I don't know if it is anymore. I've heard that they cleaned it up and it's, you know, it's better. What was the, better. What's the name of it? I wrote it down, um, but I'm going to mispronounce it. Vladivostok. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
but um and then seattle you know in the 90s is like this beautiful emerald like it literally is like an emerald city it's so yeah. beautiful and we came in the summer so like everything was different the smells were different we were shocked by how clean it is we were shocked by how diverse it is like the abundance of food and whatever you want to buy and every, i mean every element for me as a gay person like you know, it took maybe a few months to be like, to catch on, to be like, oh, like, it's kind of a thing here where it's okay. Or, you know, it was really mind blowing. Right. I don't have to be quite as scared here. I can yeah. be a little more open. Um, another VHS plays a part in the movie, The Living End, Greg Araki's movie. Your character checks it out over and over and over again. Is that true? Is that how it went? Yeah, I, um, I was just fascinated with you know i saw that there was a gay and lesbian section on the video store which just absolutely shocking to me i couldn't believe that it was there um and then i was drawn to it but i was afraid to go there of course you had to be cool yeah i couldn't be out at home and so i i kept you know i kept coming close to it but not renting close but not renting and the living and specifically it had such a sexy cover with those two guys you know in a kind of a tense erotic you know thing with a gun it was just like, in the mouth like i remember that yeah, yeah i was like what is this movie i want to see this movie and so i and then of course once i saw it it's you know it's a perfect movie for like an angry gay kid because it's, it's so angsty and it's so yes. like it's just it's very angry it's a very angry angsty movie and it was exactly where i was because my stepfather was so conservative and i felt like you know, oh my God, I, you know, I could be out now. I could be, you know, I learned that I learned that you could be gay here and you're okay. And then because of my stepfather, I still had to be, you know, in the closet. So I was just angry all the time. And this movie was like, yeah, sure. Other other people people are angry too. And you can, (laughs) did you watch it over and over? Did you rent it over? Yeah. 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 It's like, all right, I'm going to rent that again. Did you feel like if because of how conservative he was, if he knew the truth, it, the jig could be up and you guys could be back to Oh, absolutely. Up? There was yeah. like no doubt in our mind. Yeah, there was yeah. no doubt in our mind that, that would happen. And um, and again, it's funny, like you, you were talking about looking back at things when you were younger and we're like, uh, things are not exactly, oh, you know. Right, and I see this so differently now. Again, to me, it's like, it's all related to being gay. Like with my stepfather, it's so funny because I was very much like, don't ask, don't tell, you know? Right. But of course, like looking back, it's like he knew probably really early on that I was gay because, um, you know, I would have like, I would refuse to say if I was gay or not, but I had a collage of like Ellen DeGeneres and Michael Stipe and Melissa Etridge on my wall. You know After I mean? they had already come out. After they were out. Yeah, yeah. After- so... So I did this kind of passive, I don't know if you could call it passive aggressive, but you know, sort of like dropping I'm, hints. I'm not gonna say I'm gay, but like, you know, or if dating. Yeah. I'm not gay. You're like, no, I don't want, you know, I don't want to yeah. date girls, whatever. So like looking back, of course, my stepfather was like not stupid. He he right. suspected. And I remember, and now I, you know, I remembered recently he had this really weird conversation with me where. Um, you know, there's a scene in the film where I would run at night because I would felt so like kind of right. angry and angry and anxious. And I would just, you know, climb out of my window and um, run in the middle of the night. And he found out and then he told me, he's like, you should read about Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, he did these things to like, so again, like he, you know, right. obviously Jeffrey Dahmer was preying on other gay men. So it's like he, he knew, he suspected, but to me, he didn't know. I, right. you know, I thought I was very discreet. Right. All right. So as I said earlier, I wrote a few things down in my COVID fog, and I'm going to see if you know what I mean. I wrote <laughs> down, life is sad. Is that something I, yeah, it's character a, says? Yeah, it's, it's a line uh, that the grandmother says, because they, um, you know, the, the potato character and his mom, they're they don't they're not happy with the life in russia and they're trying to get out or they're hoping to get out right and then the grandma character is sort of this kind of russian 
um, you know, she's kind of like represents old mother Russia. Like she's very like, you know, life sucks and that's yeah. what it is. Get over it. There is no <laughs> happiness. This happiness nonsense is bullshit. Yeah, it's yeah, like, life is sad. over it. Just okay. sad like me. I also wrote down this line. Do people do what they want? Does that mean something? Oh, that's, all, that's also a grandma line. So that's again, when she's, um, so my grandma was working, she created this museum of police in Vladivostok. Yeah. And she, um, so she was really connected with the police academy there. And, you know, in Russia, you get drafted in the military if you're a guy. Right. And the military was really, really scary. Um, there's a lot of hazing and like people starve to death, people being hazed to death. So my mom was terrified of me going to to the army and our only hope was to like to avoid the army would be for me to go to police academy. So there's a conversation with grandma in the film where she's basically saying like if you're lucky you're going to become a cop and Potato's like I don't want to be a cop. I, I want to be a filmmaker and she's like well nobody gets to do what what they want to do anyway. Do. So yeah. it's back to that like life sucks kind of thing like get right. over you know. Yeah, these dreams of yours let's let's squish them. Let's squish them <laughs> right now together here in the kitchen. You're doing very well on remembering your own thing. I also wrote down American paper smells. Something about the way. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's it, and it's true. So we would get those letters, and they would totally. I mean, now I wouldn't even know what that smell was, but it's like a very specific, like a different, like a good smell, but it was a different right. smell. And there's a character who plays a sloopy neighbor in the film, and she's played by Lauren Tweez, who's like my favorite. You know, from the she, Love Boat. From the love boat. I forgot about I, that. I love her. Um, and she's so sweet and she's so talented. And so I'm so lucky I got to work with her. But And she played this really, you know, um, snoopy, obnoxious neighbor who gets their mail by accident and she just won't let it go. She's like, what's going on? I want to know right. more. And she, like, she just smells the paper, she smells the letter. How did you think of Lauren Tews or Tweez for that role? Um, so Lauren Twist, she lives in the area in Seattle. And so a mutual friend um, told me about that. Um, and so I connected to Lauren. I know her agent. And apparently she saw the short film that I did, which is basically a short documentary version of my story. And she liked it. And she said, yes. So I was like really blown away. Um, there you go. Julie McCoy in the, in the house. I wrote down anti-vax was there something anti-vax oh yeah so my stepfather he was basically into every kind of it, it's so weird because now i it feels like i just watched it in la and it felt very much like something i would add to be timely timely like, maybe I, I wrote that down because it was timely yeah I, I did not mean to do that at all um he just happened to be very you know because i wrote the script before covid and my stepfather was just into every kind of conspiracy, government conspiracy ever created. Right. He would have been really excited right now with everything that's going on. He would so, have been on the internet and all of it. He, is he no longer with us? Yeah, so no, no, passed away. But um, so, you know, anti, anti-wax thing was part of it. It was part of his deal. Yeah. Your movie has one of my favorite coming out scenes ever. It's so oh, original. You and sweet was that what your coming out was like it was yeah it, it really was I came out to my mom before I could come out to anybody else uh, or right. to my father and she literally was like oh whatever everybody's gay and I, I mean if anything I was kind of frustrated because I was like is she understanding what I'm saying like, right. like no you, not taking you're... it seriously enough so <laughs> it's like I mean that scene the way I wrote it is I remember that conversation really well. And it's very faithful to how that conversation really went down where it's just me saying like, I'm really, really gay, mom. You don't understand. Like, I'm really gay. Yeah. She's like, it's fine. I don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's um, like, what do you mean it's fine? You're supposed to like think it's... This movie is such a Valentine to your mother. She is so special in it. The way she is with you, the way she is with your stepfather, just the way her courage and coming out, just there's this her whole, like she's like a superhero in it. And I love her Levi jacket. For some reason, I'm like, that's right. That because it's so American, right? But uh, did your mom have a Levi jacket that she wore all the time? She did, yeah, she yeah. did. Um, 
the costume designer Harmony Arnold that we had, she, you know, she took a look at like photos of my mom and she really, she did a good job creating that, the style that she had. Um, when How closely time. did your mom consult on the, on the making of it? Did you ask her a lot um, of questions or did you? I did of- ask her questions. I mean, uh, you know, things that I remember well myself, I didn't. And then things that I wouldn't, you know, like I talked to her a lot about prison and what it was like to work in prison. Um, her conversations with my stepfather, you know, things that I wasn't really privy to directly. Um, I talked to her a lot and um, yeah, she's very supportive of the film. She finally saw it yesterday in France. So it was a very special way for her to experience it. I saw the pictures. No, we're you're right not now there. in Deauville in France. No, I don't fly. So it's hard. She was really funny. She was like, I'm, don't show it to me. I want to see it with a big audience in the theater. So it feels really like a celebration. And so, Oh my goodness. So it's showing at Deauville. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. As, as part of a festival. And I saw some pictures you posted online from the red carpet with Leah and, and some of the other actors. So your mother is there as well. She is. I, I, I kept saying, you, you have to go, you have to go. And I'm so happy that she was able to go because it's just, you know, it's an amazing way for her to experience. She got a standing ovation, I guess. You know, oh it's like 1,200 people in the theater and she got a standing ovation. And well, just, she's so just, wonderful in it. Did she call you after she saw it? And, and what were her impressions? She, she was, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm still processing. It's just so much. It's, you know, I'm so, she, she loved it. And then the next day, we had like more in-depth conversation of like, you know, she was just really excited. She's very proud of it. She's very excited. And she, she was in France for it. And she, is she going to be in Seattle when it, when you have your big bow? She will. Yeah. Yeah, she will. Yeah. She loves the cast, you know, she's as do I, I think we have such a good cast and they really captured her. Right. uh, Two actresses who play her. And she in Seattle in that section she bonds with a lot of gay people in the community and karaoke and all of that stuff. Was your mom kind of like that social butterfly person? She wasn't, I mean, she's kind of shy. I wouldn't call her a social butterfly, but she did get thrown in. You know, there's a scene where she basically, when she found out that I was gay, but we couldn't tell our stepfather, she still wanted me to have support. Right. And so she found out that there was a person, you know, at work who was, a lesbian and she had her partner and so she befriended them and was like can you hang out with my son can you just so we we would go and hang out with them and so like my stepfather didn't know this but you know she helped me find my community in that way and then well I was gonna say about the stepfather but I don't want to give away that ending but yeah that's that in that case as well she just kind of you know went with the flow and found this other whole other community (laughs) right like she was able to make both of you feel safe in your world um how old were you when you came out to her 16 yeah around the same time um i i also love the sequence where another movie would have had you find a boyfriend and settle down but your movie you you're like oh people want to fuck the russian guy so I'm going to work this, right? So there's like this series of guns. And I'm like, yes, this, it's so good. Was it, was it like that where there was a period where, wow, people, uh, yeah, like you, you felt like there were, that there were uh, a lot of opportunities in that way. I mean, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely people um, into accents or into any kind of, you know, exotic look. And um, I did have, you know, in real life, I did have a longtime partner before I became a total slut. Right. But I didn't want to go into that because it's like that relationship was really important for me. And I felt like it would be its own, you know, it's like yeah, it's, its, its own, own movie. It's yeah. its own movie. And I didn't want to, you know, even go there if I can't do it justice. So I just skipped that and went straight to like me finding myself in all kinds of places. <laughs> I loved it. I thought I thought it was original and just audacious and and probably true in a way like when you first came to the states were you did was it hard to fit in or were people kind of like ooh, who's this guy was there were people intrigued in a way or was it a mix you know i i mean at first i feel like 
you know, it wasn't hostile, but I didn't, definitely didn't feel um, attractive or appealing or like people were drawn to me necessarily. Like I didn't have any friends in high school except for like one. Um, and even like my first experiences going out to bars and stuff, I didn't feel like yeah. I fit in, but I don't know how much of it is like just my own insecurities and perception, you know? Sure. But you weren't, there wasn't horrible bullying or anti-immigration. No, there's never, no, I never experienced, people were always nice, yeah. but it wasn't like meaningful connections. So that, you know, I don't blame them in a way because my language was so um, primitive at that time and it's hard yeah. to have a conversation and it's hard to have like in-depth conversation with somebody. And it's, you know, it's sad because it's, I wasn't dumb. Right. You know, when I was 16, I was like a bright kid, but my language was on a level where I couldn't have uh, an interesting, intelligent conversation about any subject as I could have in Russian. So sure. How did you learn English? Just in, in school and using it? Were there things immersion. that helped? What's that? Just immersion, because yeah. my mom and I would just basically, you know, we we immersed ourselves as much as we could, and not, you know. Yeah. Um, and we were living with, you know, her American husband. So we spoke English at home and I spoke English at school. And right. um, I'm grateful to them, both of my parents, for like putting me in a school without Russian interpreters, because I think at that age, you, you really can learn language if you're, you know, if you're thrown into <laughs> it, you, lear you learn it pretty fast. When people would say, how did you come here? Did you tell them that it was like a mail order or whatever that process is? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then it would lead to all kinds of questions. So basically I would have to retell the story that I tell in yeah. the movie over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, um, the movie has really thoughtful, unique production design and you do cool things with, there's a dance scene early on that tells a part of the story. Like you really, it's, it's not like an indie movie where it's one house and they, you know, like it, it's really, designed and thought through how hard was it to get made thank you so much for saying that um it was very very hard to get made um you know it took years i think you know even though i've done other things on like non-existent budgets before uh, when i pitched the script to people i don't think they thought i could you know pull it off on on a tiny budget like that um and so raising money was really challenging. And I was really fortunate. A couple of years ago, I got a creative capital grant, uh, which is a, a like an artist granting organization in New York. And it's a sizable amount. And so that that became sort of this first seed where I was like, oh, I got this. Now, can I get? And so that's that that's what kind of motivated me to basically, you know, get more money and that's when it, it's it actually finally worked out as when we got the grant right the first burst of money sometimes one big yes like that can just get you not just the money but it's the belief right and the momentum and like okay yeah. somebody has faith in us because they're hard to get these movies made how did you get the grant? Did they just like the script or the proposal? What did you submit? I, I mean, I applied for a grant. I, it's kind of a project-based grant, but it also talks a lot about your past career. And so like I've had sizable body of work and then I was specifically applying with this film. Um, and it was really, actually, it was really nice to be able, you know, um, before when I was pitching to producers and stuff, I was always intimidated by, you know, this is such an unusual film. It's an art film. It's it, it's not told in a traditional kind of way. And I felt like that makes it scarier for investors or, you know, studio people. Right. You can't say, oh, it's like Clueless or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. But with uh, Creative Capital, because they do, they do art and they support really, really weird and strange avant-garde things, I felt like I wasn't even avant-garde enough. <laughs> so it was like the opposite thing where I was like, oh my God, it feels so good to be able to say like, this is going to be a weird movie. It's not yeah. going to be your, you know. Here's a big check. Make it as weird as you want. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also wrote down Star Spangled Banner. My memory is there's a really beautiful version of the Star Spangled Banner, right? 
Yeah, there's a, um, a friend and collaborator of mine, Greta Harley. She's in Seattle, composer, and she used to be a big part of the grunge scene as well. And she wrote this kind of one, I'm very musical literate. I think it's like just a piano version. Yeah, it's very haunting. It, and It's very sad. It's very yeah. haunting and sad and kind of melancholic. Uh, and it happens in a moment uh, in the film where it seems like everything's been, you know, crashing down and it's sad and um yeah i just fell in love with it and then um katrin joy our composer for the film she re-recorded it yeah um for the film so it's beautiful thank Um, you did your mom really have a talk with you about masturbation because i'm so jealous of that oh i had so much around it it was mortifying i mean it, it felt so even though she was supportive, it still felt so wrong. You know, right. it still felt very like, I wish I didn't have to have that conversation with my mom. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. But I, I got, I had. but you have the same thing where, where you. No, I felt so bad about it. I felt like it was the only thing I was doing wrong. So if any grown up would have said, oh, calm down, everyone does it. It's normal. I think well, it was did you a think, huge relief for me. Was it like moral guilt or did you think it was going to hurt you? No, moral guilt. I was moral raised guilt. Mormon. And oh I, yeah yeah so there was a bit of that going on i felt like i don't do anything else wrong i don't swear and i don't you know like I don't yeah smoke or i'm a good boy but i this is problematic and i i think i beat myself up for for a while about it so a conversation like that as awkward as it was was another example of how wonderful your mother comes across in this movie um she's really, yeah she's a treasure what a treasure and is she still in seattle do you guys live near each other she's in seattle we're really close we you know we're on the phone three times a day and i hang out with her a few times a week and so yeah we're best friends well you came on this adventure together in this new place yeah and i think you know we were really close she 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 had me young and she was a single mom and it was like us against the world basically People, a lot of people would think she was my sister, like an older sister when we would go, you know, we would go somewhere. So, and and to a point it was, you know, she was growing up the same time as she had me. I mean, not to say she was a very responsible mom, but she still was a young person. Like I, I think of myself at that age and I was like, having a kid, what, (laughs) what would I do? You know? So we, we, we always had this kind of bond, like friends, you know? Are there things about your character or your personality where you're like, oh, that's so Russian, you know, or, or do you do, do you feel like that's part of where you come from, but not really part of your identity? Or are there attributes that you're like, yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, thing that I really, really hate about myself, it, it's not really in the film because I, I mean, you know, there's so many things that you can't include, but sure. I get when it comes to like politics or opinion, I get really opinionated and dismissive and really sort of um i don't know kind of not mean but like i I, you know i get riled up and i feel like it's a very russian thing to just be like you're an idiot you disagree with me you're an idiot so i catch myself thinking that or you know think i I try not to say it but i catch myself thinking that i was like oh my god this is so like a russian dude thing because Americans tend to, I mean, Americans have become really polarized and mean as well, I guess. Right. But historically, it's not, you know, especially in Seattle, like it's not how people communicate. But right. Um, so it's something I always try to work on. And then my mom has the same thing where it's like, it's not the same thing, but she has this because she, my grandma was always so negative and so like everything's going to go bad kind of thing. Right. It's a little bit like the grandmother in the movie. Yeah, so my mom has this attitude where she's always expecting things to go wrong. And so I'm always reminding her, like, stop being so Russian. Like, it's okay to be happy. It's okay to take in a happy moment and not worry about it ending, you know. Yeah, the other shoe isn't always going to drop. When you uh-huh. left Russia, did you go back and see your grandmother? Or did you, were you, once you left, you left? No, once we left, we left. But grandma came to visit us a few times. Oh, wow, that um, must have been fun. What did she make it was, Oh, my God, it was so funny. I mean, she's such a complex and strange person. So she would, you know, every time she visited, it was a total disaster in every way. (laughs) But then she would always talk about it after like, oh, we just had the best time, didn't we? 
In so retrospect, it was magical. And at the moment, it, it was a nightmare. It was always a nightmare. So it was very strange. But she, you know, I really miss my, I love my grandma and I miss her. But it was always crazy. She'd visit and, you know, she, she was, you couldn't take Russia out of her. So, <laughs> you can take the girl out of Russia? Yeah. We, you can't take the, okay. Like, I remember I, I would, you know, I didn't have a car and I, I, I was trying to take her like downtown to see stuff, you know, Seattle, landmarks, whatever. And we're waiting for the bus. And she's so used to being in Russia where you basically knock people down to get on the bus. Right. And so she started doing it. And I'm like, grandma, can't you see that? Everybody's politely lined up. Nobody's, nobody's <laughs> she's fighting. She's giving people elbows like, and stuff? No, she's literally running, pushing people out of the way, physically pushing them out of the way. Yeah. And then she got on the bus and she would literally point her finger at every, like, everybody who didn't look like, you know, whether it was like a person of color, a person with blue hair or a person with a nose ring or somebody who clearly looked gay, you know, if they were out of her comfort zone, she would like point her finger. So I would have to, you know, slap her hand and be like, stop it. You can't do that. It's rude. You can't point to the guy with blue hair and the mohawk. That's No, and she was, she was always doing that. It was so embarrassing, but. I love it. It could be in the sequel. I also wrote down the word Manson. Why? Marilyn Manson? Why did oh, I yeah. Totally. I was so into Marilyn Manson. I think, um, I mean, I know why. It's because, you know, my stepfather was so religious and I was so, like, angry at him and rebellious and teenage angsty yeah. at the time. And, you know, Marilyn Manson, just like the living and pretty much embodied that kind of like rage of like we hate religion we hate every, you know establishment right. whatever it is so it was kind of a fuck you to my stepfather without you know literally saying fuck you to my stepfather but he knew that i listened to that music so it was like yeah it was, it was a way of rebelling it um, was definitely a way of rebelling i wrote down freddie mercury he pops up yeah, I mean, Freddie Mercury happens in the in the Russian conversation. And it's interesting because Freddie Mercury in Russia at the time when I was growing up, at least in Vladivostok, where I grew up, he was the most idealized and loved rock performer. You know, like Russians didn't know who Rolling Stones were. They didn't care for like a lot of the music that people love here. But Freddie Mercury and the Queen were like the biggest. They were all about it they were all about it they were like worshipped but at the same time it's such a homophobic culture and i do remember somebody sort of bringing up at some point like oh i've heard he's gay and people are like no 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 he couldn't be you know he's talented he couldn't be gay <laughs> like but that's we like be that, that's be gonna be the headline for this piece yeah. by the way yeah. i always pull a quote for the name he's talented <laughs> he couldn't be gay um i love it did you did he speak to you though in a way like in a subtle gay way like did you connect with him I, you know, I didn't connect. I, I mean, I liked his music um, like everybody else, but I wasn't, you know, I, di I didn't. Yeah. I Like I didn't, I kind of believed that he couldn't be gay because, you know, everybody said he's, he couldn't be gay. So I thought, well. He's too talented. I was never that into Queen growing up they, I, I, at all, but I, I come to appreciate them more as an adult. Um, so I made, started a little list before you got on of all the different streaming festivals where the movie's going to be playing so people can go and buy a ticket and watch it at home. I know Atlanta, Chicago, San Diego, right? Um, um, Tampa, Seattle, um, Hamburg, Milan. Uh, there's another German town. I forgot the name. Um, right on. Are you, um, is there a Facebook page where people can learn about the movie and where it's showing and how they can see it? Yeah. I know on Instagram, it's Potato Dreams Film. Okay. So it's Potatoes World on Facebook. Potatoes World, right uh -huh. on. Apart from festivals, what's the distribution outlook at the moment? So we got picked up by Dark Star Films, uh, and we're having theatrical distribution next year, which I'm really excited about. And I did, you know, That's in awesome. the weird climate. It's kind of crazy for any movie to like have expectations of theatrical release. So I'm just thrilled that yeah, gonna people will be able to see it on the big screen. Final question, why do you make movies? Um, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like I've wanted to make films since I was a little, little baby. <laughs> it's just, I love movies. I dream movies. I breathe movies. It's just something I always wanted to do. Um, 
I'm fascinated with, I mean, I guess that's true about all art, but this idea of sort of, uh, you know, an individual filtering the world through their twisted, their own twisted idiosyncratic mind and right. putting it out there in the form of like any kind of art, but film for me is my favorite form for sure. As a kid, did it seem like a million miles away? Did it seem impossible that you could ever be doing what you're doing now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I fantasized about it a lot, but it was on the same level of like fantasizing of walking on Mars or, you know, <laughs> like it was that level of unrealistic because it was just like no art where I grew up. There was no right. art. There was no, I, I didn't know any artist. I didn't know anybody in my family, in my neighborhood, in my school who was involved in any kind of art. Like it was just not, it's just not something that's done. Right. Nobody does that for their work or even for their hobby. So how am I going to do that? Has there been a moment in your filmmaking where you take a moment to process like, wow, I'm really doing that thing. Look at all these people around with the camera yeah. and the crew. Yeah. I mean, it happens, you know, cause my, my, my journey has been really incremental from like starting, you know, where I, I did every single job on set for my first few projects to right. having a medium sized crew nowadays. So I've had those moments throughout you know, it's like getting into your first festival was like, right. oh my God, you know, like I remember I, we got into Austin Gay and Lesbian Film Festival uh, with my first feature. And that was the first time that somebody put me up at a hotel. And that felt like oh my it was gosh. actually the time where I started, because before that, I wouldn't even tell people I was a filmmaker. Like, I just felt ashamed saying that because it's like, who am I to say I'm a filmmaker? Yeah, you can't do that until you get a hotel room, at least a hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. And then, which is not, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it was just like my own insecurity. No, right? I get it, for sure. And, and then at that time, it's like, well, they think I'm a filmmaker. They put me up. So. Right. Look at this beautiful double tree suite. I mean, I'm a fucking filmmaker. Well, I hope you get a lot more hotel rooms. I hope you get to make a lot more movies. Um, I think this movie is really special. And I think your vision for it is so unique. And and it was moving. And your mom, the mom in it, just what a you know, what a, what a sweet portrayal and what a sweet relationship. So yeah. thank you so much, Dennis. I appreciate you having me on and yes. And I love the podcast. I love what you're doing with it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. I love your disco rainbow tile wall that the people are not going to be able to see, but I, it's amazing. I want to move in with you right now. They, we can do it. Um, we can make that happen. Um, people could see that if they booked a virtual game night at youdon'tknowmylife.com. I usually do that after the interview, but I'll get a plug yeah. in. I don't care. Yeah, do it. Um, well, thanks, Wes. Everybody go check out the movie, Potato Dreams of America. Bye. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks again to Wes Hurley. Check out his movie, Potato Dreams of America, either at one of these festivals where it's streaming or maybe in a movie house in 2022. All right, so this happened, okay, on August 6th, I tested positive for a breakthrough infection of COVID. I had gotten the J&J &J vaccine the first day it was available, April 1st, and I started feeling crummy about August 4th, and by the 5th, I was like, I need to get a test. So I arranged to get a test, and sure enough, it came back positive on the 6th. Because I was feeling really achy, really tired. I was like, this is, something's up. And I don't know how I got it. That week, I didn't do anything where I thought, hmm, this is a little questionable. I did go to the dentist, um, and I sat in a dentist chair for 20 minutes at least, getting my teeth cleaned. But the hygienist was really decked in the most... Uh, extensive PPE I had seen like it, it she looked like a robot and nobody else was in there so I don't know maybe but this Delta variant I guess is very sneaky the other thing I did around then is I worked in a Starbucks and I kept my mask on while I was working but I would lower it to sip my beverage so those are the two things that I think might have done it but boy it wasn't like I was at a at any like big patio parties or anything like that. I got it. Um, it kind of knocked me on my ass. They say it's like a cold or the flu, but it kind of is. It, there's a, it has an edge to it, like a dark edge. 
and maybe I'm being um, fantastical, but I'm like, oh, this fucker's trying to kill me. Um, a little bit like that. The body aches were the most uh, distressing for me. Like, your body just kind of ached. And headaches, um, I was popping a lot of ibuprofen. Um, I was very tired. I Luckily, I never had trouble breathing. Um, and I never really had a fever. But I was pretty sick for about 10 days. And the good news is nobody in my life that I interacted with in those two or three days before I knew I was positive, uh, tested positive, including my roommate, who we share a space. So that was quite a relief. So I think that speaks to the effectiveness of vaccines. So yeah, it was a trip. I don't hate that I had it. Uh, it did feel like a long time. And I, I had a few days where I felt like I was going backwards and I would get a little frustrated. But overall, I just kind of zended out. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. I hesitated to post about it on Facebook because I'm very ambivalent about the way Facebook affects people's emotions, whether you're posting or reading or whatever. And so I thought, you know what? I think I should do this because may, maybe it'll warn people that breakthrough infections are are something that happens and, and I think Delta is a little sneakier, way sneakier than previous incarnations. So I went into my notes app or maybe I did it on my laptop and I, I crafted my post. I really put a lot of thought into it and I was like, all right, I'm going to post this. And I would, I would be like, I'm going to cut that word. Oh, that I need to have a little joke or whatever. I had to, I really like honed that thing. And I posted it, and the response was so... I'm embarrassed to say how heartened I was by the response. I'm such a Facebook hypocrite. I was like, oh, look, people are responding. I felt really um, uplifted and buoyed by it. Um, and I'm such a Facebook hypocrite about um, people and their emotional needs uh, in regards to Facebook. Because I was like, I nailed that. Like... I was delighted. It delighted me for the rest of the day. So anytime you hear me slag off the Facebook of it all, I'm full of shit. Uh, because I um, was very heartened by all of it. And of course it could have gone south. People could have you know, come at me for political reasons or whatever. But overall it was very positive. And I do, um, I do think it's important to say that breakthrough infections are not that uncommon like because the, the the what the experts seem to be saying at the time were that the breakthrough infections were rare and mild well they're not that rare and they're not that mild if my experience is any indication but it would have been so much worse if i didn't uh have the vaccine that's what i believe so anyway um there you go i cheated death i'm back at it um i'm back podcasting i still feel a little tired from time to time, I don't think I'm 100%, but um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I, that I got through it and uh, for all the support that I got with uh, my friends and my roommate taking care of me and all the well wishes. So, yeah, that's it. So, your favorite death cheater is signing off, and we'll catch you next time on the Dennis Anyone podcast. Bye!
Thanks again to Wes Hurley. Check out his movie, Potato Dreams of America, either at one of these festivals where it's streaming or maybe in a movie house in 2022. All right, so this happened, okay, on August 6th, I tested positive for a breakthrough infection of COVID. I had gotten the J&J vaccine the first day it was available, April 1st, and I started feeling crummy about August 4th, and by the 5th, I was like, I need to get a test. So I arranged to get a test, and sure enough, it came back positive on the 6th, because I was feeling really achy, really tired. I was like, this is, something's up. And I don't know how I got it. That week... I didn't do anything where I thought, hmm, this is a little questionable. I did go to the dentist, um, and I sat in a dentist chair for 20 minutes at least, getting my teeth cleaned, but the hygienist was really decked in the most uh, extensive PPE I had seen. Like, it, it, she looked like a robot, and nobody else was in there. So, I don't know. Maybe. But this Delta variant, I guess, is very sneaky. The other thing I did around then is I worked in a Starbucks, and I kept my mask on while I was working, but I would lower it to sip my beverage. So those are the two things that I think might have done it, but boy, it wasn't like I was at a at any like big patio parties or anything like that. I got it. Um, it kind of knocked me on my ass. They say it's like a cold or the flu, but it kind of is. There's a it has an edge to it, like a dark edge. And maybe I'm being um, fantastical, but I'm like, oh, this fucker's trying to kill me. Um, a little bit like that. The body aches were the most uh, distressing for me. Like, your body just kind of ached. And headaches, um, I was popping a lot of ibuprofen. Um, I was very tired. I Luckily, I never had trouble breathing. Um... And I never really had a fever, but I was pretty sick for about 10 days. And the good news is nobody in my life that I interacted with in those two or three days before I knew I was positive, um, tested positive, including my roommate, who we share a space. So that was quite a relief. So I think that speaks to the effectiveness of vaccines. So yeah, it was a trip. I don't hate that I had it. Uh, It did feel like a long time. And I I had a few days where I felt like I was going backwards and I would get a little frustrated. But overall, I just kind of zended out. Um, Yeah, it was was wild. I hesitated to post about it on Facebook because I'm very ambivalent about the way Facebook affects people's emotions, whether you're posting or reading or whatever. And so I thought, you know what? I think I should do this because maybe it'll warn people that breakthrough infections are are something that happens and and I think Delta is a little sneakier, way sneakier than previous incarnations. So I went into my notes app or maybe I did it on my laptop and I, I crafted my post. I really put a lot of thought into it and I was like, all right, I'm going to post this. And I would, I would be like, I'm going to cut that word. Oh, that I need to have a little joke or whatever. I had to, I really like honed that thing. And I posted it, and the response was so... I'm embarrassed to say how heartened I was by the response. I'm such a Facebook hypocrite. I was like, oh, look, people are responding. I felt really um, uplifted and buoyed by it. Um, And I'm such a Facebook hypocrite about um, people and their emotional needs uh, in regards to Facebook. Because I was like, I nailed that. Like, I was delighted. It delighted me for the rest of the day. So anytime you hear me slag off the Facebook of it all, I'm full of shit. Uh, Because I um, was very heartened by all of it. And of course it could have gone south. People could have, you know, come at me for political reasons or whatever. But overall it was very positive. And I um, I do think it's important to say that Breakthrough infections are not that uncommon. Like, because the, 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 what the experts seemed to be saying at the time were that the breakthrough infections were rare and mild. Well, they're not that rare and they're not that mild, if my experience is any indication. But it would have been so much worse if I didn't uh, have the vaccine. That's what I believe. So 
anyway, um, there you go. I cheated death. I'm back at it. Um, I'm back podcasting. I still feel a little tired from time to time. I don't think I'm a hundred percent, but, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I, that I got through it. And, uh, for all the support that I got with, uh, my friends and my roommate taking care of me and all the well wishes. So yeah, that's it. So your favorite death cheater is signing off and we'll catch you next time on the Dennis Anyone podcast. Bye.